Welcome to our 21st Set the Month in Motion monthly podcast and forum, produced in partnership with the City of Fremantle's Building Business Capacity Program. My name is Tanisha Quinlan and I'm the CEO of the Fremantle Chamber of Commerce. I would like to start today by acknowledging the traditional owners on the land on which we gather, the Wajak people, and pay my respects to the elders past, present and emerging. At our 21st milestone podcast, I feel we should be giving the keys to our business success, perhaps, or maybe just the door. However, instead, today, we're deep diving into an issue around the world of alternative pathways to recruitment. Uh, Just before the session started this morning, we were just discussing the issue of recruitment and how it has become so much more prevalent in our world at the moment. As business leaders, we know that finding good people to deliver our vision is the key to business success. However, achieving that is sometimes easier said than done. For many of our local industries here in Fremantle, especially in the hospitality, aged care and warehouse and logistics sectors, COVID-19 has changed the landscape of the recruitment draw. These industries have traditionally relied on international workforces, young backpackers and casual workforce to add diversity to their teams. With COVID restricting some international travel and migration for the hospitality sectors, they're losing a little of that backpacker connection, the culture, some of the colour, and also some of the understanding of high-end service expected in Europe and other international cities. For the aged care sector, international workers often bring a respect for the elderly and a respect for care as a profession that is hard to find in many ways in some of our traditional Australian training pathways. For warehouse and logistics by way of example, the growth trajectory of this industry is significant as the world continues to move online for commerce and flexibility, adaptability and the sheer volumes are driving demand for good people in this sector. They are only a couple of small sort of sector examples and today we're going to deep dive with our our panel of experts in how we find adaptive and creative solutions to finding great people to back our workers and our workforces. Our panel today has a lot of experience in some of the new government funding and pathways to matching opportunities with great people. And perhaps pathways not always as traditional as we have become used to. And certainly pathways that are not very well understood by many of us in business. First on our panel today is Mina Silk. Many of you will remember Mina, uh, who joined us last year to talk about building positive workplace culture. And she's back with us to talk recruitment today. Mina is Director of the HR Department Fremantle. She is a Senior HR Professional with over two decades of experience in well-known organisations such as Cochlear Limited, West Farmers and has experience in many industries from telecommunications, manufacturing, dangerous goods transport and even local government. Her extensive experience in employee engagement and business improvement functions has armed her with a practical knowledge of the way in which businesses can build a highly engaged workforce. As the Director of the HR Department Fremantle, Mina now applies her extensive corporate experience to prevent people problems in small businesses. She provides HR advice ranging from everyday matters to strategic HR for business growth. This journey was inspired by seeing friends and associates struggling to get the right advice that would suit their size, purpose and budget. And I think we're going to talk about all of those things, size, purpose and budget today, Mina, um, and it's wonderful to have you back. Mina, I thought we'd just start, I guess, with a bit of an overview of the current situation before we have a look at some of the the alternative pathways. And I guess just starting at the very beginning, how should businesses approach finding talent in the current market and especially given all the changes we're facing? And is there a formula or process that you believe can be applied to recruitment to increase the pool of candidates? 
Thanks, Denisha. Uh, so I'd like to start by acknowledging the real issues that small businesses currently are facing with having a limited pool of candidates to choose from. Um, there's just not enough applicants and the number of jobs available is quite large. So what is the process? So how does a small business navigate this? I think it's a five-step process. Step one, which everyone does already, is to define the role. What is it that you're looking for? Which includes you know, the traditional sort of list of things like skills, qualifications, experience, uh, traits, etc. The second step is for each of the items that have been listed in this list of requirements, is to actually break it down and ask yourself the question, why do I want this? Why is it important for X number of years of experience or you know, Y qualification or uh, some other uh, you know, requirement that the business might have listed? And take it a step further to say, what if I can't achieve this? Because in my experience, what we find is that a lot of small businesses tend to try and find a unicorn. And in the current market, finding a unicorn is as hard as any other time. But you know, multiply that by 100. <laughs> the third step, or hopefully by the end of the second step, after you've kind of questioned yourself on why this set of criteria is that critical, hopefully you, you achieve a much broader sense of the type of candidate that would suit your business requirement. And that therein comes um, the opportunity for diversity and for thinking outside the square that we've traditionally functioned in. The third step is to really try and also understand why should the candidate choose this business or this job? It's not all about the business looking for the perfect person. It's also about the candidate looking for the right business. And particularly in a market such as uh, the current scenario, I think it is incredibly important for businesses to spend some time thinking about what can I offer that is different and that is um, useful. So for example, um, does, does the business have a really good work culture, a positive work culture? Does the business offer flexible working arrangements? Uh, is the business close to public, public transport? Is it more accessible? Uh, does it offer family-friendly uh, work patterns? And these factors become really important because not everyone's looking for um, the same things. You know, there are a lot of candidates out there who are looking for something different and who are looking to really match the organization to their needs. And it's really important to bring that out in um, you know, a job advert, uh, etc. Um, step four is to look beyond what's written on a piece of paper. So, you know, candidates will send through resumes traditionally. Um, I personally believe that a resume is a very ineffective uh, document when it comes to identifying what people can do. It's very limiting and a majority of people either undersell or over oversell themselves through resumes. So look beyond the document look beyond what's written down. And a simple way of doing that is by speaking to the candidate. Just a quick phone call to get a feel for what the person's after, what is the role about, explain, have a quick conversation, and see if there is a better match. And while all of these steps may seem pretty um, simple and 
you know, a lot, a lot of businesses would have done these. Um, we've certainly found much better success using this method rather than being very clinical and very objective with the process require, uh, that we've followed in recruitment in um, previous years. Mm. I love a couple of those points, Mina, particularly even about picking up the phone, because one of the amazing things about that, I think, is that you also get a sense, a different sense of a person, and a lot of our work is, sometimes when people do actually pick up the phone, it is driven by that personal touch, and it, it does save time in, in lengthy interviews and people sort of coming in for that first step. And I think that other point that you make, just around defining what is the core roots of what this role is really about. So you've got a job description, but what is it that you really need? And in the case, for example, of hospitality, if you are looking for someone that just shines and delivers service, you are actually going to have to speak to that person to get a really sense of that before uh, you embark on the journey. And on that, um, one of the things that you did talk about is, is the advert and, and defining that. Um, obviously, job um, adver advertising has become extraordinarily expensive and if you go down the path of the traditional recruitment agent, again, it adds a lot of cost to the process. Um, have you, can, in your experience in the last little while, are there any other ways to, to, I guess, get the word out to a pool of different talent? And we'll be talking later to our panel about some other specific ways along those lines, but I'd be interested in your feedback before we move to Sally, Mina. Yes, yeah, certainly. I, I think from what I've observed, over the last 10 years, recruitment has changed dramatically. Uh, it's no longer about advertising on, in one media or one particular place uh, because the difficulty with advertising just in one spot is that you're waiting for the candidate to come there, so, uh, come and have a look. So only, So you're restricting your pool of candidates to only those people who are actively seeking employment, but not necessarily those who may just be thinking about it. Um, who may um, so it, the the idea is to present the job in front of people more actively. So you know, take Muhammad to the mountain or mm -hmm. mountain to Muhammad, whichever <laughs> way that works. Um, so, a few different things to try there. Number one, choose multiple portals because mm -hmm. all candidates are not looking at just one website or one jobs board. Uh, as many portals as possible, and there are actually plenty of portals that allow free advertising or free posting of jobs, which include um, universities, TAFEs, various uh, industry bodies and um, uh, accreditation mm. sort of uh, associations and so on. Um, when you said portals then, I was immediately thinking, oh, so you've got LinkedIn, you've got C, but you're, I think the universities and, and, that and some of the other forms we'll talk about today are really about what today's about and, and using those, um, you know, I wasn't aware that the universities have, have portals for those sorts of roles yeah, as well. absolutely. So I've certainly um, seen a lot of success um, advertising at TAFEs and particularly for students who are just finishing a particular qualification, are just kind of uh, trying to get into the market. It's a great way of getting out there before others do and presenting your business and um, attracting people to a business mm. that they want to work for. Um, in addition to that, um, social media is really strong in terms of um, a business's ability to present itself in front of its potential market. So in, in particularly, for example, in, in hospitality or in retail businesses and so on, a lot of candidates come out from your uh, customer pool. Mm. So wherever your customers are hanging out, it's quite likely that your 
employees or potential employees are hanging out at the same place. So take your advertising strategy to where your potential pool of candidates is, rather than waiting for a candidate to choose a particular uh, portal to come and look for you at. So Facebook's really effective, so Instagram, Facebook, whatever's your general marketing strategy that works is a great way of spreading the word and sharing what's available out there. Um, in addition, uh, you know, on social media, there are plenty of um, groups of, you know, various groups and pages that um, people and communities have created. The power of these community groups is immense because a lot of um, new migrants, a lot of uh, uh, people looking to get back into the workforce or looking for a career change are actually spending time in these community groups, chatting, talking to people, getting ideas. And advertising on these portals is free. You know, tagging these pages is free. And it's a really effective way, again, of getting your business in front of people uh, rather than waiting for people to find you. Mm, some great points there, Mina. You know, taking that time at the beginning to think about what it is you really want and then really where do the people you really want? Are they in your customer base? Are they coming out of university? Are they job seekers? Are they just new people or are they people in the existing networks and employment and where you actually pull that pull from is is really, really interesting, I think, and, and different way of thinking about it. And I think Sally um, has definitely got some um, interesting points that I might get you just to pass the mic to Sally. We're on one mic today. So so it's a little bit challenging, but we'll get through it. Um, next on our panel is Sally Textera, Project Manager at Work. Sally um, originally is from London, uh, where she spent her career originally as a high school education teacher, and then moved into the university sector as a senior lecturer. Sally then trans transitioned into human resources and recruitment, where she worked for 10 years before moving into employment services. Sally has experience in employment services rehabilitation management and the Job Active program and she's currently working in strategic planning and project management work at Work Australia to innovate and streamline the employment services industry. An incredibly diverse background there <laughs> Sally and I loved um, the question that we were sort of having a conversation about before, uh, before today and I think you're so right in, in the comment that in the world where the most successful companies are run by young people that didn't have any experience when they started, and I think it harks into Mina's point as well, we, we seem to apply a very strict formula about the experience we're looking for and how we try to recruit candidates based on their years of experience rather than their potential. Yeah. Um, do you want to make a comment on that and, and I guess how we get through <laughs> that traditional tick box list of what yeah. we're looking for and really pull out someone's potential. Yeah, I think it's it's just an accident of history. I think the way that most businesses have always recruited is to say, okay, we want some that, someone that can slot straight into the job, therefore they need to be experienced. That's just how we recruit. Um, and I think employers need to open their mind a little bit and understand that um, when there's a deficit of candidates and um, we're looking for a number of people and we need to start thinking about things a little differently. If we're gonna produce change and we're gonna move forward, it's unrealistic to expect that the person perhaps that is right for the job is the person that's done the job before. So we need to think about 
a person that is the right um, in terms of attitude, in terms of beliefs and values, is going to be the right fit socially, is going to have um, the potential to grow within that company. So instead of looking for someone that's already done the job, let's look for someone that has the potential and um, the belief in the company and the belief in the upskilling and training and retraining to do that job and the way that we do that I guess um, as Mina said is to talk to that candidate is to open our minds and to think about what is the person that we're looking for not the skill set that we're looking for necessarily and so when you're looking at um, recruiting maybe be open to other options like government employment services because we have a range of um, ways to, um, resources to upskill people and train people and we work really closely with employers to understand what they're looking for in a candidate and we have the resources to help those candidates move towards that um, goal with the employer. So we're matching really carefully the candidate with the um, employer mm. and it's kind of I guess it's not tinder for jobs it's a lot more than that so we're not looking for a one-night stand Swiping them left yep, and right. we're looking for a healthy committed relationship <laughs> at the end of it um, and that's what we can achieve it's really important that we understand the business and we understand the person and that's how we get that that fit that right fit so instead of looking for that experience we're looking for personality we're looking for potential we're looking for attitude and we're looking for internal skills, soft skills, transferable skills, which people have from all different walks of life. And isn't it amazing sometimes when you do find potential and you give someone an opportunity that perhaps wasn't in that traditional sort of area and they've been perhaps looking for a long time or yeah. have been overlooked for different reasons. Yeah. I've always found in my career they are often the most loyal, the most committed 100%. and the people that really give more because yeah. they are so grateful for the opportunity because you've been that's given an been opportunity. presented to them. Yeah, 100%. We had a client um, a couple of years ago. She was a mum who'd never actually had a formal job before. She was a mother of four in her 40s. Um, and wasn't sure what she wanted to do. So after working with us for a while and understanding you know, what her skills were and her ambitions, we um, sort of clarified that she would like to work in hospitality. She really enjoyed cooking, being in the kitchen. She had lots of experience for that, having brought up four kids. Mm. Um, so we helped her with a training course. We worked with a, an RTO, put her through um, food safety handling, that kind of stuff. And we found an employer who'd been um, advertising for a really long time insisted on wanting someone with experience. They tried several candidates, none of them had lasted. They didn't have the kind of skills um, that they were looking for and they couldn't understand why. So we said to them, okay, look, we're gonna send you this amazing lady. Have her for a couple of weeks because we're able to actually send a candidate on a two week, what we call like a work trial, which is fully paid for um, and reimbursed to the employer. So it doesn't cost you anything to do that. And she was amazing. She had a great time with them. They loved her. She was a great fit. Like you say, incredibly loyal um, for the opportunity. Mm -hmm. She worked really hard. She worked really well and diligently. She was great with customers. She was great at multitasking because she's run a family of yeah. four. Um, and they took her on. We were able to provide them with a wage subsidy. So that means that um, what they had to pay her was reduced by an awful lot of money mm -hmm. over a six-month period of time. Didn't cost them anything to recruit with us as well. Um, and she's been there for a couple of years now and is now assistant manager of that um, cafe, which is incredible. So she has a career path. They have a candidate who's an exceptional worker and everyone is a winner, basically. Mm. See, by thinking outside the box and employing someone that didn't have any experience at all, they found the right fit. That's an amazing. And I think, you know, as employers, 
that's part of what we wanted to talk about today is that there are so many opportunities where there's financial benefit for the organisation yeah. as well as all of that additional support. Um, and one of them, and there's a lot of terms that get thrown around, I find <laughs> people just go, oh, I'm on Job Active or I'm on NDS. So Wage subsidy yeah, and blah, blah, blah. blah. Um, can you just describe briefly for our audience that maybe isn't so familiar um, sure. with the Job Active program in particular, what it means in terms of real opportunity for our local employers? I mean, you've given a great example there, sure. um, but just be interested to hear it, I guess, in layman's terms about what's included and how it works. Of course. So there's, there's lots of different options and lots of different resources that we have, um, obviously, to help people back into the workforce. Um, one of the really important ones, I guess, for from an employer point of view is, is a wage subsidy. Um, so many of the people that we work with, our candidates, are eligible for a wage subsidy, which means that if an employer takes them on um, for a minimum of 20 hours a week um, with a job that's going to continue on, they're eligible for um, a wage subsidy of up to $10,000 over a six-month period. And that's paid out usually at a um, half at three months and half at six months which brings their wages down considerably. Mm. Um, that's a government wage subsidy. And most people who are eligible for that are either young people or parents or people over 50 um, or Indigenous Australians as well. There's a few sort of um, grey areas there, but that's, that's basically how it works. It obviously doesn't cost you anything to find a candidate with us. We have a pool of, of thousands of candidates um, throughout Australia, regional areas and metro areas as well. Um, some of them are very highly skilled and qualified with degrees, PhDs, masters, all of that kind of stuff. Some of them um, are unskilled, but because we have the resources to help them, we can actually train them and upskill them to an employer's requirements as well. Sometimes the, the training that we offer is actually tailored to what the employer needs specifically. So a larger employer, for example, like Sodexo, might come to us and say, we need to design a specific training package with you that's only for us, and then we will offer those candidates a job at the end of it with us. Others will say, okay, we just need someone to have a forklift ticket um, and a driving licence. Can you do that? We can mm -hmm. do that too. Um, so it varies and it's very individualised. But either way, we can make sure that our candidates have the specific training and the skills that are in, uh, required by the employers. And then there's even a financial benefit often at the end of that for the employer too. Mm -hmm. So you're getting a, a, a very sort of cheap option, I guess, but it's also a very tailored and effective option as a candidate too. And with that additional, I guess, support network that lies underneath it. Very much so. Yeah. So we support our candidates um, right through that process and beyond. So we're supporting our candidates for months and months and months past their employment date to make sure that they're working well with the employer, that the employer is happy. We can support them in all kinds of ways mm. um, with ergonomic equipment and things like that if they have a disability, but also just with checking in and making sure things are going well. That's fantastic, Sally. Next uh, on our panel is, is Galen. I might get you just to, to pass the mic to Galen. Thanks, Sally. Um, employment uh, Project Manager at Advanced Personnel Management, or APM, uh, as we're seeing uh, the growth of APM and the, and the logo out and about a lot more, uh, Galen, at the moment. Uh, Galen is currently um, there and uh, 
I guess APM, one of the, the major features is that they've been a partner of the NDIS for, for a long time. Um, having worked in both Country WA and the Perth Metro, Galen has spent the last 14 years in not-for-profit training and disability employment sectors. During his time in these sectors, Galen has held roles as a trainer and assessor, careers and employment advisor, DES regional manager and coordinator of employment projects for people with disabilities. In 2014, while I was working as part of the National Disability Service, NDS, Pathways to the World Project, or the world of work I should say, not just to the world, but probably to the world and work, Galen. Uh, you redesigned and specialised job customisation uh, model for Western Australia, and that's being used to assist people with disabilities to uh, secure sustainable employment. Um, over the last seven years, you've delivered this model uh, to disability service organisations and providers um, and a large number of other stakeholders and representation, representatives of employer groups. You work very closely with parents, people with disabilities and employers. Um, and the NDIS is another area, I guess, like Job Active, that we know is out there, um, but probably is a little bit confusing for employers around what it means and, and I guess what are the benefits of, of being part of that program. And especially, I guess, if you haven't had a disability yourself or been associated with it, it, it can be a little bit of a foreign experience. Um, so how do you believe employers can benefit from this understanding um, and its employment support categories, Gail? And if you could talk us through the, the nuts and bolts of the NDIS, I personally would be very grateful. Sure. <laughs> Thanks very much, Denisha. Uh, look, um, the eyes of the world is watching Australia. Um, we have a world first uh, national disability insurance scheme that is supporting uh, people with disabilities to live the life that they want, you know, an ordinary life. Um, yet, uh, as you mentioned, unless you are a person with a disability, the wider community and certainly a number of employers that I've spoken to over the last couple of years and worked with um, haven't really got an understanding of what the NDIS really does. For a lot of people, it's about, well, it's an insurance scheme that helps provide support for people to get out into, into the community, help with uh, their daily living. Um, but the NDIS can do a lot more, uh, and certainly from an employment support point of view, uh, over the last year, over the last couple of years especially, uh, the NDIA, who manages the NDIS, has focused uh, a lot on providing employment support opportunities for people with disabilities. Um, and it's often these employment supports that employers aren't really aware of. Uh, certainly the federal government employment programs of disability employment services and obviously Job Active are there and employers have been somewhat aware of mm. those programs, uh, even though I think a lot of employers still, you know, wonder how it actually works. Um, for a lot of employers uh, that I've spoken to over the last couple of years, their understanding is that uh, employment is often with these federal government programs, and certainly employment support. Employers have often raised the question about, um, well, employing a person with disability, and there are a lot of benefits around that, uh, you know, the employment of, of a person with disability, but not many know how to actually handle that employment. Mm -hmm. um, and it's interesting to hear what Mina said earlier about employers being more engaging uh, in their recruitment uh, of, uh, of people. And certainly for, for people with disabilities, um, 
I've been involved in the redesign and redevelopment of uh, a alternative pathway to employment uh, called customized employment or specialized job customization, where that really challenges how we view recruitment. Mm. So yes, I completely agree with Mina that uh, resumes are, you know, often not very accurate. Uh, people either do oversell or undersell themselves. At the end of the day, it's just words on a piece of paper. And so the process of customized employment employs unique approaches to build that relationship with employers. You know, one of the uh, approaches, of course, is first of all to really get a very good understanding of the person with disability. Not a lot of time is spent understanding who the person actually is and what they're looking for, their, their interests, their strengths. When we think of employment as well, we, we often think that it has to be someone working for someone else. Mm. There is never that thought that, you know, even a person with disability could run uh, their own business, but within customized employment, that certainly, that certainly is, a, is a huge focus. Um, and so, the employment support categories that the NDIS provide, and certainly the category of finding and keeping a job, uh, provides for that intensive one-on-one -on -one support to happen once employment has been found. And for employers, that's a huge, that's a huge peace of mind, knowing that there is a skilled, trained support worker who will be there with the person with disability, providing the support that they need. Until such time, of course, they, they're independent, uh, they're confident in the role that they're doing. Uh, and so I guess the, you know, my, my call to action for employers is uh, really look at you know, the different options, the different employment support options that the NDIS can bring. Uh, certainly, uh, you know, unique strategies like informational interviewing, for example, you know, that's a very, uh, it's been a very successful uh, approach in helping both the person with a disability and the employer to be aware of what well, what the person's looking for and certainly what the company can can offer mm. and so we've we've seen employment being offered to people with disabilities uh, through the use of the informational interview strategy uh, over your traditional resumes and cover letters can you break that down a little bit the information? Mm. Strategy, um, yeah. just for those that aren't aware yeah, of what that yeah. would be. So it look, it it, it sounds exactly uh, well. It is exactly how it sounds. Uh, we've all been for interviews. We know what it's like. You come into a room. Uh, you've got one, two, three people. Sometimes they're firing questions at you. It's a very formal environment. The informational interview strategy allows the person with disability, uh, I guess, the the power to control the interview. They're asking the questions. They're inquiring if the employment that they're searching for is for them, uh, if the business that they're uh, that they're planning on applying for is is a good is a good fit for them. So you know, oh, we've got you know multiple stories of individuals that have done that. But one uh, one comes comes to mind. And a couple of years ago, uh, a young man who had, uh, I guess, been assessed as being never capable of working in open employment, and that's your award wage uh, employment, um, you know, looked 
and obviously living off the disability support pension, wanting to experience work in open employment. And for a lot of years, you know, really looked at the fact that, well, it was his fault that he couldn't get open employment. And so employing the strategy of customized employment or specialized job customization, uh, the support organization helped him through understanding who he was, what his passions were, his strengths, his skills, his abilities, all the critical aspects of what makes a person. Mm -hmm. um, and they took the individual out to undertake a series of informational interviews. Uh, and one of the informational interviews that was conducted was, uh, well, with WA's largest health fund provider. Um, and it was through that informational interview that they got to actually see um, who the individual was. Now, a resume would have never suited this young man, mm. right, uh, based on his disability and, and so forth. Um, but they got to see who, who he was, the skills that he had. He, they were able to, um, you know, to see who, who this person really was and all the skills that he had built up over the last couple of years. And he got to have a very good understanding of the organization that he had wanted to, to work for for a number of years. And so rather than, you know, the traditional submit a resume and a cover letter, um, he was actually offered uh, an opportunity for employment uh, based on what was discussed at the informational interview, mm. which was, you know, it's a tremendous uh, success story. Um, two years he has been uh, with the organization uh, and now working 15 hours uh, a week. You know, so when we, see, when we see the power, I guess, of customized employment in place, you know, we must always remember, of course, that that is possible through uh, the NDIS, through the finding and keeping a job mm. category. And I think the stories that you share reinforce mm. for me a lot around the way we interview, not only just the way we find mm. people to come into the space, mm. but I think for a lot of employers, and I think, you know, I'm certainly um, have been in that category myself where you've usually got a need you're usually under high levels of pressure there's mm. you know you've got a, a vacancy that's costing the business because you need to fill it and there's a a very strong desire mm. to fill that quickly mm. um, and to fill it with something that you know and almost mm. go oh thank god that's done we can mm. move to the next thing and i think the use of a variety of different tools, as Mina mm. said, and, and you've illustrated so well, Sally and Galen, around just taking a moment to work out what mm. it is you truly want mm. and then just say, is mm. there another way that mm. I could maybe look at this? Um, but then when you've actually got the person in the room, and Mina, mm. I'd be really interested in your thoughts on this, I think, you know, through resources and those sorts of things, we talk a lot about... Um, those resource companies, a lot of the recruitments around scenarios for so every interview, you know, can you describe the last time you did this or can you describe the last time you did that? And, you know, I have found that tool relatively useful to get away from the CV and look at someone's potential. But how do we get in a really artificial, short process, a way to know a person to make that call? Because I think and I'm sure we've got a few, uh, Pedro in the room from a, a hospitality side as well. You know, there's a lot of candidates that come in, they hand their CV and usually you've got, you're short, you go, jump on the tools, go. And sometimes we rush that decision and end up with perhaps poorer outcomes than if we could somehow get to know that person quicker. So maybe you can start and then uh, I'll hand over to the rest of the panel. 
Very uh, good question, Denisha. And my response is going to be pretty similar to what Galen has just said. So I'll share a real life example with you, something that um, I trialed with um, recruiting in a business just last week, actually. So scenario-based interviewing is effective. It works. What we did with this particular business, which had been struggling to find people for the last almost six months, is we took the scenarios, made them real in the room, rather than asking them in the form of questions. So it was um, you know, similar to the uh, sort of system that Galen was just describing. In technical terms, we call it an assessment center. Effectively, what that is, is that we design a scenario that represents the culture and the work patterns in that particular business. So in this particular business, for example, they are very strong on teamwork and workshopping problems. So when, when people come unstuck, you know, there's a technical issue or issue with a client, they have um, a concept of just huddling together and working on it together and finding the answers. We thought that would be a great way of interviewing people and seeing them put their skills into action rather than just describing what they're going to do or how they've been in a similar situation before. So, and that worked incredibly effectively. So after six months of struggling with the traditional interview approach, we ran this workshop style uh, interview last week and we got two candidates who, again, through traditional methods of resume and face-to-face -face interview style, I can guarantee would have got rejected. Mm, but seeing people in action, so giving them some a problem to work on, for instance, together, is a much lower risk. It's it's more comfortable for the candidate, and it's more comfortable for the interviewer because just as the the entire interview process is equally disturbing for both parties, mm. you know, it's not easy for the person asking questions either. It's awkward, so. Removing that awkwardness is by presenting actual real-life situations. So in hospitality, for example, if it's about um, seeing whether the person you know, can do a particular task or not, let's, let's watch them do it. Or let's um, create a scenario where there is actually a customer complaint that they need to manage. And let's see how they can perform in that scenario by emotionally attaching themselves to that problem rather than just describing what the emotion might have been in the background. I just had the craziest flashback, Mayna, as you were talking to my very first job interview professionally after I left university. And it was for a market research firm and they gave me a wad of data about that thick and sat me in a room and said, right, we'll be back in 15 minutes. If you could just prepare the presentation based on the data in front of you and we'll be in with a panel of four. And I was 20 at the time and it was quite terrifying, but I got the job and it was the start of my career. But whilst I don't think I will ever forget the fear when that door closed and I was with that wad of data, it, uh, it gave a lot. And for that employer, they said that my confidence in the way I executed it, and even though perhaps technically there were people who analysed the data to a much greater degree than I did in that moment, it was the delivery and it was the ability to engage, which is what they were actually looking for for clients and those sorts of things. But it can be a daunting process, but but you're right in that it is the only way that you actually see someone as, as they are. And 
I think that's also another reason why perhaps employers fall back on going through people they know or, tr or networks because they can see the person, what they've done, who they are, they know who they're connected to and it's almost like they get that backstory. And Sally, a lot of what we're talking about is dealing with the unknown and, and Galen's mentioned also, you know, dealing with people that perhaps have been out of work for a while, that they've perhaps got disabilities or other issues. You're not dealing in a way with the familiar and I think for employers that's very challenging. How do you overcome some of those obstacles? Um, true, it can be, but I think that we overcome it by the fact that we have an amazing team of employer account managers, I guess, a retention team. They um, bridge that gap. So pretty much they are the network. They are the bridge between the employer and the employee, the unknown. Mm. They get to know the businesses that we deal with really, really well. They become part of that business, if you like. They're out and about in the community with our small businesses, with our cafe owners, um, with the people that own the little shop down the road, right through to our national employers and our um, multinational employers. That's really important because in the same way that you might hire someone because your really good mate Fred has known him for 20 years and says, he's a good bloke, I can vouch for him. They can talk to our team and go, is this the right candidate for me? You know my business. Absolutely. Yes, he is. We've worked with him for three months. He's been through all our programs, all our preparation, all the training. I know this guy really well. I highly recommend him. I know your business really well. This is the right match. Mm. And so we have that. We have that network there, that gap matching. And I think that's really important. So that's how we do it, I guess. Um, we we have that network um, because we have those deep relationships with our employers. And I guess have had time to get to know the candidates. Very much um, so, Probably yeah. in a way that, you know, when someone's just walking in cold to the door to sit down and start an interview, you know, hundred percent, yeah. yeah. And because we are that trusted partner, I guess, um, we do bridge that gap and we have those relationships over many months with people mm. and that trust um, and that bond that we form in working with those clients is what makes the difference, I think. And what sorts of things, I guess, in that job matching when you're getting a candidate? Because mm -hmm. one of the things, I guess, that's come out of COVID is there are a lot of people looking for different roles, yes. perhaps roles that they don't have experience in, but they've kind of sat around and gone, actually, what I am doing isn't what I it's want to be doing me. forever. Yeah. Um, how do you translate or how do you, I guess, as all three of the panel, mm -hmm. assess your own candidates before you put them forward to someone else when you are looking at perhaps skills that need to be transferable into another sector? Um, I guess there's, there's lots of different ways of doing that. That's probably more relevant Galen. Um, for maybe Galen to answer that because transferable skills are really yeah. important. Yeah. I think it starts, uh, and certainly the uh, specialised uh, job customization or customised employment approach really focuses on the discovery process with the person with disability. So lots of time is actually spent with the individual understanding their passions, their strengths, their interests, uh, their support needs. Uh, and then looking at uh, the different work environments that they may be suitable in. And again, challenging how employment is viewed, not just about uh, you know, the person with disability working for someone, but entertaining the possibility that that individual's passion and their interests might lead to them running their own micro-enterprise, mm -hmm. you know, which could potentially then be subcontracted by an employer. Um, and so once the client is fully understood, uh, you know, what they're looking for, and again, their passions and their skills and their strengths, it's then that the relationship building with employers actually begins. Right? So it's not about parachuting someone into an existing job, but it's working with employers to address their unmet needs, some that they know about, 
more often than not, uh, it's unmet needs that they're un unaware of. Mm. And it's interesting, isn't it? Because I think one of the things that um, our society drives is almost an expectation around what enjoyable work looks mm. like. Mm. And, um, you know, I myself have often been amazed, at, you know, sometimes when you just spend time in a mm. hospitality venue and you're dealing mm. with people every day, mm. it's actually really quite pleasant. And there's, a, there's an enjoyment around mm. that interaction. Or if you're working in, in a caring role, mm. you know, that, that deep desire we all have to give back, you actually have an opportunity to do that. In a way that sitting now to a desk nine to five and doing what you traditionally perhaps academically employed to do mm. um, and I think um, that is one of the opportunities that COVID brings is this redefinition around what is important to people as you mm. said Galen whether you've got a disability or you're looking mm. for work or you're in a profession that you've been mm. in for 30 years mm. and you're suddenly going is this where I want to be mm. that is the opportunity that employers have now and I think it comes back to Mina's mm. first point as an employer to go, what is it that my organisation really offers? Like, mm. what is this job mm. really, really about? And where are the touch points that maybe I can get someone that is looking for something a little bit different along the way? And I guess that's the time that is, you know, afforded uh, within the customised employment mm. approach. Uh, obviously, the, um, you know, again, the funding from NDIS makes that time possible, uh, you know, because it, uh, you know, it's not about, you know, filling filling the role for now, but it's ensuring sustainability of that employment mm. for both the individual uh, and the employer. Um, That's yeah. really great. Um, Pedro, I know you're in the room and I don't want to put you on the spot, but I'm wondering if um, we could pass you a, a mic. Sure. Um, you listening to the panel and I guess translating that to a large organisation that you have down at the left bank. What challenges as an employer would you, I guess, where are the sticking points in going down any one of these alternative sort of pathways for you that maybe the panel could answer? I actually can't see a sticking point to be honest. Yeah? Um, yeah, I've actually taken a couple of ideas, written some <laughs> notes. Yeah. Obviously, yeah, it's a, it's a tough environment at the moment. We're looking, looking very hard. I mean, mainly in the kitchen. Mm. Front of house is, is different. Management, again, is, is tough. People are bouncing between jobs. People are trying to get a, a work-life balance, which is something that I believe we can offer as a business compared to other guys. But realistically, it's just tough. Yeah. <laughs> it's just really, really tough. But also putting the time into anyone. So obviously, Galen is talking for myself or our, our business to put that time in right now. We're under the pump already. So the hardest thing is time mm. and to actually invest back in your staff, which I've always prided ourselves on, is actually kind of gone by the wayside because, like you said before, you've got a spot, we need to fill it, we've got to keep moving. Yeah. And at this moment in time, we're moving fast. Mm. So, but it's yeah, I mean, so I have. True. I've taken a lot from this. Yeah. But I mean, we're struggling and I don't really know the way out right now. Yeah. Obviously, we're all hoping for the borders to open. Mm. But I do believe... I do believe things will get better and mm -hmm. I'm going to take a few of these things and yeah, try to implement them. And I think your point is really relevant because I think that is in a way one of the obstacles of people picking up the phone for Job Active or NDIS or as um, Mina said, going through you know all of the different um, groups and is 
a sense of what am I going to get and do I as an employer have the time to invest in whatever may come and, and, and it unleashing the potential that you may know is there but you perhaps don't have the time to sit and do that. Um, and also whilst it's incredibly good I think having that support network come into the organisation there's a thought of my god am I going to have a worker showing up checking what I'm doing you know how are we going to work through all that. Sally do you have any comments on that one? Yeah, it can definitely be scary because it's not a traditional recruitment model for sure and, and we do try and, and allay your fears as much as possible. Um, one of the ways that we can do that, a lot of our clients are eligible for what we call a, a two-week work trial. So they can come in um, and work with you for two weeks as a regular employee um, and then all their wages and everything, all the costs are fully covered and you don't have any obligation to keep them employed at the end of that period. So you get to kind of try before you buy if you like. So in the same way that you would recruit a normal candidate, we go through all the, the normal motions, you interview them, you talk to them, we chat to you about what your business needs and we say, okay, we think we've got the right fit, but no obligation, you try them out, a couple of weeks, we think you're gonna love them, that's, give it a go, okay? A couple of weeks end, nine times out of 10, the employer will say, you are dead right, brilliant, I love them, I wanna keep them, let's go. But on the rare occasion that you go, you know what, wasn't quite the right fit for me, can we have someone else? No worries at all, let's have another go at it, mm. we'll send you someone else. So things like that, that a normal method of recruitment can't offer you, is might be a really good way in to, to... In this current climate. In this current fast-paced climate where you just don't have the time to send out an ad on C, you can interview someone, da, 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 da. you can ring someone like us and say, this is what I need, can, I can have someone there tomorrow. Great, brilliant, do it, give it a go, see what happens. Mm. Um, Mina, that transition um, from, I guess, these alternative pathways we're talking and then the entry into the workplace, obviously when there are risks there, um, how do you manage and ensure, I guess, from a, a HR perspective, that the workforce is ready for a new person coming in? Because obviously that can also be the obstacle as they're coming into a new culture, they're coming into a new team, all of those things. Yeah, again, great question. And more than ever before, I think it's important to look at the existing workforce and retain them. And work at, and trust that the existing workforce actually is uh, critical to your success right now. Mm -hmm. Include them in the interviewing and the selection process. That's a great way of preparing people for what's coming, particularly if you're trying something slightly left of field or you know something that hasn't been done before in your business because why do why do people resist or why do they feel um, uncomfortable about something is when they haven't been prepared and they aren't ready for it mm. one of the ways of um, creating that readiness is by perhaps picking some of your trusted staff members and asking them to participate in the selection process that's a great way of creating that buy-in uh, another, you know, other, other things that are also effective is in uh, thinking about how do we introduce the new person or the new, you know, slightly different idea that we've uh, thought of in a more positive way. So perhaps it's about, um, you know, having a, a team get together on the first day, introducing everyone, creating a positive uh, vibe around what to expect, uh, or even... Uh, conducting some simple, short preparatory training sessions or discussions with existing staff members on what to expect and why we're doing what we're doing. 
And these uh, relatively simple exercises actually go a long way in helping prepare people um, and, and kind of not uh, have to deal with sticker shock, if you mm, like. Mm. I think, that, you know, there's that great um, sort of expression that says taking the time on the way in and then if it's not right, making sure that it's quick to sort of go, this isn't the right place or this isn't working is really important. I think, you know, we're all talking about fits and matches and I think that's something as employers we all have to recognise is that you might be the, think you're the best employer in the world, but there is going to be certain people that are right for your organisation and certain people that aren't. And whether it's creating the laid-back atmosphere of the left bank or, you know, high French service that another hospitality sort of organisation's aiming for, you've got to know yourself and then know when you're putting someone into that mix that it's going to work um, in that dynamic as well. And just to add to that, uh, something I, I would like to acknowledge is that recruitment is a very time-consuming process. There is no quick way of doing it because, and, and a lot of studies, a lot of research has gone into this. Quick and um, sort of instant recruitment processes don't last. And eventually they end up costing the business a lot more in terms of uh, managing the exit processes legally and effectively and not having any comeback or um, also the cost of uh, lost time over you know, the period that you have an ineffective person working in your business and so on, and the impact it has on the team. So uh, it's, it's important to acknowledge recruitment is expensive and it is time consuming. And I completely appreciate the dilemma that a lot of businesses have that you know, we are in a very busy uh, sort of environment at the moment. There's lots of customers waiting to buy the product from us. So we have no time to recruit or to, you know, build the pipeline. But it's a difficult balance. But unfortunately, recruitment does require that time and energy. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And, and the downside is if you don't put that time and energy in, um, you know, the results aren't going to be there. And, and our people are our asset in, in all of our businesses. And whether you're making widgets or you're, you know, selling cappuccinos, you, you know, the right person and the right fit and the right culture is, is what defines success in our business. And I think that point of time is, was so well highlighted by Sally and Galen as well in that part of the, the services that you offer is that you put a lot of that time in, um, in before the employer comes to you, um, which is just fantastic. Any questions online? Um, just then in sort of summing up um, from where we go from here, if you had to leave one piece of advice, and I'll ask each one of the panel that, one piece of advice that you'd leave with an employee in the current market about recruitment, what would it be? I have two words. Okay, go. Yeah, well, I meant one line, maybe <laughs> one thought, maybe you can have more than one word. <laughs> don't be afraid to innovate mm. is, is one thought. And the second one is don't look for a unicorn. Yeah, I think that's a great advice. Absolutely. Um, I think mine would be everyone deserves a second chance. Mm. So think about that when you are employing, call employment services and imagine yourself in other people's positions. Give people a go. I think that's a lovely piece of advice, Sally, definitely. Yeah, man. Look, I, I think um, following on from what Mina and Sally said, um, you know, look outside the box. You know, certainly that innovation is, is critical. 
Uh, and you know, if one if there's one thing COVID has taught us is innovation is a must. Mm. Um, you know, and there are people out there uh, who are a fit for your business, and it takes time uh, to have that right fit um, for your organization. But it can be done. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think um, there's so many different ways we can talk about this for different industries and customise it as well. All three of our organisations today on our panel are on our Chamber Directory, which is very exciting. Can I commend you all for making sure that your details are on our Chamber Directory? So if anyone's interested in um, finding out more individual information or perhaps to, to quote Sally, giving something else a go and someone else a go and a second chance, the Chamber Directory is under member on uh, the Chamber website, uh, freemantlechamber.com.au. Mina at the HR department at work and APM are all up there, um, so please feel free to make contact that way. Um, and thank you all very, very much um, for giving your time today to share some different thoughts. I've certainly learned a lot and it's an area that I still get the EBGBs about. I think it's one of those amazing things, recruitment, isn't it? Like when it works, you almost feel this rush of fresh air and you're like, oh, thank God, that was perfect. And there's other times you go, I know I'm not quite making the right decision now, but I just need to fill the gap. And I think that's what we're trying to avoid at the moment. So thank you all very, very much. Um, and thank you to our online audience for tuning in again. And we'll be back actually in next month. We're looking at the risk, HS risks and some of the new legislation that's coming in. But the month after that, we're also looking at the art of the business of giving back. And I think there's also a bit of that in today's conversation as well about how as businesses, we support our communities around us. So thanks very much, everybody. And Chris, thank you as always.